Turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and hold your place there. 2 Timothy 3 and hold your place. This is a verse that I want to encourage you to not only go to today, but to memorize uh, this week, this month. As we begin and we thank the Lord, I, I just want to thank God for Rick Warren, who, who has made a huge difference in the world. You know, his, his first book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, sold more copies than any other printed book in, in the 20th century or probably in the world other than the Bible. Uh, so he's a man of great influence, a man of great humility, uh, and has made a huge difference in the world. Uh, and so from time to time, we tap into his resources that he so wonderfully supplies us. And today we officially began 40 days in the word. Everyone say 40 days in the word. You know, you look at scripture and God does a lot of things and a lot of things happen in 40 day windows. And so it's important to understand there's something significant about that. Uh, you know, some good things, some bad things. Uh, but God is, uh, uh, so So 40 days, I think, is a good time for us to get a firm grasp on God's word. So right up front, before I introduce anything to you, before I get into this message, I want you to begin to commit yourself that in the next 40 days, you're going to really get into the Bible like never before. And we're going to help you do that. In fact, on Wednesday night, as I, as we shared with you earlier, uh, Rick Warren will share a little 30-minute uh, session with us, and then we'll break up in our roundtable discussion groups, and we'll apply it and appropriate it in our life. And you're going to learn some things that'll help you get a firm grasp on God's Word. And here's kind of my statement that I made last week. If you'll get a hold of God's Word, God's Word will get a hold of you. Amen. And so we're, we're praying that to be the case. So I want you just to kind of begin to plug in in your mind and go f- and say, I'm going for 40 days in the word. Now you see this website, you can get there two ways. You can go 40, 40 D I T W that's days in the word.com. Or you could type it all out days in the word. It will take you to this website right here. Uh, and there's daily stu- study habit. There's there's uh, videos you see there. In fact, uh, every day you will have at your disposal a little devotional video that you can watch. And it'll not just be Rick Warren, but it'll be, uh, uh, I think he said in, uh, when I looked at one of his introductory videos, every day is a different Bible teacher. So he'll have new people every day with a little, uh, and then there'll be, there'll be devotionals and a, you see memory verse there. So I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. In fact, uh, how many of you, I don't have my smart, everybody hold your smartphone up. You can do this. In fact, I didn't look and see if there was an app. There may be a 40 days in the word app. I don't know. Uh, but you can go there and find out. Uh, and you can plug into on a daily basis. You can memorize God's word. You and I can get a firm grasp on the word of God together. So everyone say 40 days in the word.com. Everybody say 40 D I T W.com. I want you to get, Hey, get it down. There's no excuse. You can do this early in the morning, late at night, middle of the day at lunch. And you and I together can get a grip on God's word. So I want to encourage you to go there and get involved. And over the next 40 days, uh, your life can be transformed by the power of God's word. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray together. Is there an app? There you go. There's an app. So go to the app store. Uh, I didn't even, it's 40 days. So there you go. 
Uh, you, and it probably has all the same things. It's more phone applicable. So thank you so much. So let's pray together as we jump in to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Father, I thank you today for the Word of God. And I thank you that it's bringing forth much fruit in our life. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And everybody said... Amen. Here's our memory verse. Here is our overall memory verse. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I want you to read it with me. Off. I hope you're seeing it in your Bible. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, it's the context here is huge. And we've looked at that before, even a couple of days ago, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and so, uh, really Sunday morning. Uh, and so uh, this verse is so big when it comes to getting a firm grip on God's word. Let's read it together, everyone. All scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, ladies, I want you to say that the woman of God, all the ladies say that the woman of God, that the it's for you too. And so ladies, you, you, you can get a firm grasp on God's word. Now let's read it out loud together. Are you with me? Here we go. And if we were Baptist today, well, I'd make you stand up, uh, but we're not Baptist today. I'm a, I got born again in the Baptist church. I'm not anti-Baptist. Uh, I'm probably Bapticostal or something like that. So let's read it out loud together. Here we go. A little louder. All scripture is given by and is that's pretty good you did good let's do it again because i want us to memorize this here we go again all scripture is given by inspiration from god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to memorize that. I want you to get it down in your soul and in your spirit and be able to say all scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable. He, he gives four things to kind of help you out. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work and all God's people said. So let's memorize that verse. And over the next uh, six weeks or 40 days, you're going to see this verse uh, uh, over and over. And I pray that it would become something that you wake up in the night or when you pick your Bible up, you'll just be able to say all scriptures given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness and that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. And everybody said, amen. So there, there you go. That's where we're launching from this morning. I'm going to come back to that in a moment and we're going to kind of break it down. But let me just give you some insights about this Bible that you hold in your hand. And if you're looking at scripture through your phone or your, your iPad or laptop or whatever, that's fine. But I want to encourage you to, to if at all possible in your, in your devotional study times, get the paper back out and just, man, there's just something special. I'm not saying that the electronics are, are, are not a good tool. Tool. Uh, I use them quite often, uh, but uh, hey, there's something about the book that I just think is just good for us to be able to see it written down in a bigger context, to look at the whole page, and so I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to bring your 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 paper back. Uh, 
uh, paperback. That's funny. Your leather-bound paper Bible to church. Uh, I have a friend who pastors, an acquaintance who pastors in Sulphur Springs, and he's big on that. And a friend of mine visited uh, with him the other day, and he said every person had a Bible in their hand. He said the children, the adults, not just the mom, but the dad. He said he looked around, and, and he said, let me see everybody's Bible. And everybody had their Bible. I'm telling you, there's something strong about that right there. There's something powerful about that. So, because we've got to learn to love the Bible. See, the only thing you're going to get with this is the Bible. How many of you, you know, when you look in your phone, you can get a lot of things off your phone. So there's, I just think something good for us to get that, that printed Bible out and study and read it and stay close to it. So I just encourage you in that. Interesting thoughts about the Bible, just so you know, it's the all-time best-selling book in the history of humanity. I'm going to say that again. It's the all-time best-selling book in the history of humanity. In the history of all books, it's the best-selling book. It's the most translated book in the history of humanity. It's the most read book in the history of humanity. This Bible is the most, has been the most influential book in the history of all humanity. And over the next 40 days, we're going to do three things. We're going to learn, we're going to learn to love the word. We fall, I think the, the church has fallen out of love with the word of God. You read the Psalms and you'll discover David loved the, the word. In fact, I think he even said, Oh, how I love thy law. He, he, he talked about how precious it was and how much he, he embraced the word of God in his life. And we've got to fall in love with God's word again. Because remember, go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's, it's all scripture is given by the inspiration from God. We ought to love God's word. And then number two, along with that, we've got to learn the word of God. We've got to hide it down in our heart. David said this, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We need to learn God's word. And then here's number three. If you just love it and learn it, it ought to lead you to number three to do what? Live the word. You see, if you, if you can quote the word and, and study the word, uh, you, it does you no good until you apply it in your life and begin to live it out and obey the word of God. And as Jesus said, build your life in Matthew 7 on the strong foundation of God's word and obeying his word. And everybody said, amen. So that's where we're going. Wednesday night, I encourage you to be here. You know, uh, uh, it's the small group study format. We'll hear, we'll hear from Rick and, and then we'll break up into two or three, uh, uh adult groups and a, a youth group and, and we're going to appropriate and apply the things that we heard and the things that we're going through. And we'll learn to love the word, learn the word and live the word. And I'm excited about Wednesday night because uh, I've already taken a peek and it's, it's great tools and great resources for all of us to be able to uh, begin to allow the word of God to make a big difference in our life. With that in mind, everybody say one more amen and go back to Second Timothy if you're not there. Let me break this down just a little for you. He said all scripture is given by what? inspiration from God. You know, anybody ever been inspired? Oh, that just inspires me. You go to a movie or something. Oh, I'm just inspired. Pastor Sam preached a great, oh, I just feel inspired. Uh, This word is deeper than that, I think. In fact, the Greek word is theonoustos. Everyone say that. 
Look at your neighbor and say, Theonoustos. It's two words put together, inspiration. Theo meaning God. Noustos meaning breath or nostrils. And really, all Scripture is given by Theonoustos. All Scripture has been breathed out of the nostrils of God. Now, you need to understand, and if you don't get that, if you don't understand that, uh, you say, well, wait a minute, uh, 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 men uh, uh, wrote it down, but well, let me, let me build on that for you. If you, if you want to take a right for just a little bit, go to 2 Peter chapter 1, take a right there, just go a few pages over, 2 Peter chapter 1, look at this verse, look what, what Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, no, per, no, no man, no private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke, catch this as they were moved by the what? Holy spirit. You see, all scripture is given by theonoustos. It's breathed out of the nostrils of God. And what God did, he moved upon men and, uh, uh, and, and no, no women wrote the Bible. He moved on men uh, by the Holy Ghost and they wrote down what the Holy Spirit told them to write. You need to get that down. You need to understand that all scripture was breathed out of the nostrils of God, breathed and spoken to, to frail humanity and they wrote down what the Holy Spirit told them to write. Everyone say all scripture is theonoustos. It's breathed out of the nostrils of God. And so that ought to get us revved up this morning. I think if we really embrace this thought right here, uh, we wouldn't need to go any further with this, this emphasis on 40 days in the word. When you read, God spoke this, this is God's word to me, absolutely. And if we can just cross over to that understanding and say, thank you, God, that, hey, though you moved upon 40 different men to write down what you said, it is your word. And it is not, it is not of private interpretation. No one man has, has the, 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 you know, the, the handle on God's word. It's the scriptures. It's, and I love what Peter said, knowing this first. It's like, you better get this priority down. If you're going to be a student of the word, you got to have this first. You got to know this first. This is not the words of men. This is the word of God that was breathed out of the nostrils of God to men. And they wrote them down, not by their will, but by the will of God and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say Theonoustos. So we've been given a great gift in the Bible. It's God's word. It's, it's the gift of God's word to train us, as you see in this scripture, and to transform us. Everyone say train us and then transform us. Now, I want you to see this right here. Look at this verse. Go, uh, go back to 2 Timothy. Let me show you this. Second Timothy, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable. Here's the four things for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Those are important tools that God, this is how God uses the word to make a huge difference in, in our life. In fact, 
Let me show you the primary purpose of God's word in your life. The primary purpose of the word of God is not to just reprove you and correct you and to train you. The primary purpose of God, those are just the, the means to an end. Here's the Bible's primary purpose. It says, so that the man or the woman of God may be complete. Somebody might say complete. That means whole. That means all together. Anybody here like putting pieces, anybody like putting puzzles together? You know, it's kind of therapeutic in the wintertime to me. I can get frustrated pretty quick, but wintertime, I got frustrated the other day and this last winter, uh, I pulled out a puzzle and it was too big for the table I started on and I couldn't, I couldn't do my work. I got frustrated and put it all up. Uh, I mean, and it's all fragmented. Listen, Christian who do not fall in love with the word of God and learn the word of God and live the word of God, they are fragmented in their spiritual walk and thus frustrated all their life long. Because the word of God will complete us, make us whole. And if we do not learn to love the word and learn the word and live the word and embrace it as God breathed in our own life, We'll live fragmented and frustrated lives all the day long. And we'll come to church and we'll, or, or, or we'll grab the Bible in frustration, do rock, paper, scissors, try to figure out, you know, do this method. Oh God, I need you to speak to me. Oh Lord, boom, what are you saying? And you do the, you know, you do the, 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 the flopping point mode and you look down and, and he went out and hanged himself. No, that, that's not how you do that. That's not how you get a word from God. It doesn't mean God can't speak to you just by opening and reading the Bible. But let me tell you something. The Bible is God's methodology and way and means to train you and to, and to transform you and make you whole. You see, before we were born again, we are under the spell of sin. We, we were our, our person and, and who we are and humanity was perverted by sin. God and his blood and his word and the Holy Spirit all work together to make us whole again. That's what God's word, that's why, that's why, you know, it says his word, it's profitable for doctrine or teaching, for reproof and for correction, for instruction in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, perfect, whole. And then number two, equipped for every good work. You see, the word of God completes us. The word of God equips us and gives us what we need for every good work. So why 40 days in the word? Because we need to be made whole. We need to quit living fragmented and frustrated lives as believers. We've got to get a hold of the word of God so the word of God can get a hold of us and begin to transform us back into our former glory, if you will, before sin entered into this world. And so the primary purpose of the word of God is to complete us and to equip us for every good work. And let me tell you something. Uh, the Bible's not just to help us. It's to help us help others. Amen. So we can be equipped for every good work. You see, because the Bible is God's word, you can trust the word of God as infallible and inerrant, 
in your life. Now, there are translations and paraphrases. And how many of you know uh, that, uh, that the Bible came from original texts that were translated by uh, what I believe uh, men and women of God? But how many of you know in translation, sometimes things get a little, you know, and so there's a number of translations uh, there's a lot of paraphrases, and I want you to know you all, it's okay to read a paraphrase. I love the New Living, uh, uh, well, the, the Living Bible. Now there's the New Living Translation, which is a great, great translation. That means that, that men and women looked at the original text and they translated. They just didn't interpret what it said. They translated it word for word. Uh, in fact, the early translators of Scripture... Uh, they translated uh, every word. Now, here's what, uh, if you, if you uh, I forget what message I heard. I think it's in one of the messages Rick Warren said. He said the original translators, they would translate every word. And then they would compare it to each other. And if they were mixed up, well, they'd throw it all out, start over again. Because they were, they were, even the translators were committed to getting the translation to their best of their ability, exactly correct because they realized they were handling and this is why they call it the Holy Bible. Are you with me? Say amen. You know, some people say it this way. Let us examine the scriptures. That's not right. We need to say, let the scriptures examine us because the word of God is infallible and you can trust the Word of God. Amen? You can trust what God says. So, well, I don't, entr- I don't trust those, those people who wrote it out. Well, hey, God did. God trusted men to listen to the Holy Spirit and write it down in the original text. And I believe it, for our sake today, God moved upon men in the early days to translate what he said into the English language. And it came out, you know, uh, how many of you know the King James Version? I'm telling you. And so from that, now translators have worked to fine tune God's word. And so, uh, so we need to, we need to learn something here today that it's inspired by God and we can trust it. Everybody say you can trust the Bible. And so today I'm going to give you seven reasons why you and I can trust the Bible as God's infallible and inerrant word. Seven reasons, woo, seven reasons why you can trust the Bible. Now follow along with me. I'm going to hit them fairly quickly uh, and, uh, and, and I think you're going to really appreciate it. Number one, the first reason, here we go, go ahead Ike, it's historically and archaeologically accurate. Say that with me. It's historically and archaeologically accurate. I love what Psalm 33, 4 says. It says, for the word of the Lord is right. In other words, it's correct. God's word is right. It's historically and archaeologically accurate. And, and here's what you and I need to understand. The Bible is an intricate, intricate series of historically accurate accounts of actual events. 
Now, over the years, people have, have looked at the Word of God. Well, the story of Adam and Eve is an allegory. The story of Jonah and the whale, that's, uh, that's impossible. Uh, these are just stories that may have spiritual truth to them. No, understand something. The Bible uh, is not just a history book, but it is certainly filled with historical, historically accurate events, and it is archaeologically accurate when you look into archaeology, you'll discover, oh my goodness, here it is. This is what the Bible was speaking of. Now we found it here through archaeology uh, and, and discovered that the Bible is archaeologically and historically accurate. It's not just a history book, however. It's his story. Everybody say it's his story. Let me give you some illustrations. Anybody ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in a cave, and I think it's Quam Ram Caves. I've actually seen the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've actually seen the caves where they came out of. And I think uh, my dates elude me, but in 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 our century, uh, um, a little shepherd guy was up in the caves looking for lost sheep. I don't know what he's doing, and he found these old clay pots. In fact, if you go to Israel, you can see the actual clay pots, and inside them were the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were which are were uh, uh, original. Text of certain passages of Scripture. I think Isaiah and a few others were. And so, so theologians as well as biblical critics as well were pretty excited to, to, to say the least because their big goal was, and the critics were, okay, now here's what we're going to do. What you're going to discover now is when you take these Dead Sea Scrolls and you start translating them, they're going to be all different than these early manuscripts that the original translators had. And so now we're going to get to prove that, that the, the Bible Bible is not historically accurate or even archaeologically accurate. And what they found was that the Dead Sea Scrolls, however long they had been hiding in those clay pots in that in that uh, uh, in that uh, little cave up on the side of uh, the hills of Quamram, if I'm saying that correct, uh, what they found was they were almost just identical. In other words. History validated early translations of Scripture. And so today, that's just, that's just a huge thing for us to be able to say, man, thank you, God, that what you were saying, it, it, it didn't get lost in translation. Here's another one. Everybody say Hittites. In early days, uh, in archaeology, uh, uh, the critics could not find the Hittites anywhere. The Bible talked about the Hittites. There's a lot of Tites and Hittites and all kinds of Amorites and Ites in the Bible. But the Hittites uh, were in Old Testament Scripture. And the critics said, well, if we can't find the Hittites archaeologically, there's no evidence that there's ever a place where the Hittites lived, who the Hittites were. We have no archaeological evidence that the Hittites ever existed. So therefore, the Bible must be incorrect. And therefore, you can't trust the Bible as God's Word. Well, in our century, really, it's not too long ago, archaeologically, guess what they found? Evidence of the Hittites. So early critique was proven wrong by archaeology. And so the Scripture is historically and archaeologically accurate. Even when you look in the New Testament, the book of Acts, the book of Acts mentions 54 cities, 39 countries, and 9 islands, all of which are totally accurate. 
And so it's historically and archaeologically accurate. You can just, hey, and my son just got back from Israel, and, and Beverly and I have been. She's been once. I've been two or three times. And I just love going. Uh, one of my favorite places is Caesarea by the sea. Simon lived there, and that's where the pretty close to where the Holy Spirit was poured out. I'm telling you, you can get right down close to where things happened in the earth, and you see things, and you touch things. You can actually, uh, oh, there's a place mm, along the Mediterranean Sea where where some of the original steps are that where you step down into the boats to cross over. And, and they say these are probably the actual steps where Paul the apostle walked down to get in the ship. Uh, and I'm just going, man, I love this place. You, it comes alive. You go to the Sea of Galilee and you just, God, this is where it happened. This is where Jesus fed the... I mean, it's historically and archaeologically accurate. You can trust the Bible. Number two, it's scientifically accurate. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Bible is a scientific book. You may not understand, you may not believe it, you may not understand it, but it's scientifically accurate. And a lot of times, what you need is, you know, if people in the day, back in the day, were, were trying to prove something scientifically, they'd write it down, and then they would be later proven to not be accurate. Let me show you this right here. In early history of the world, what did people believe about the world? That it was what? It was flat. How many of you know the world's not flat? But everybody thought the world was flat. Now you would think if that was the prevailing uh, uh, belief in the early days of even the Old Testament, that, they, that it would have been written that way because they would have believed it that way. But it doesn't even say, it says nothing about the world being flat. But catch this right here. Look what God said in Isaiah 40, 22. He says, it is He, speaking of God, who sits upon the circle or the sphere of the earth. See, when everybody thought the world was flat, God said, no, it's not flat. It's a circle. It's a sphere. And I sit upon it. I made it. I ought to know. And now, how many of you know it's just downright funny to think that the world is flat? But did you know Christopher Columbus, God bless his soul, he thought that very possibly he was going to sail off the edge. Because he believed and everybody else believed the world was flat. So when the world was scientifically misinformed or uninformed, God's word was true and is true. Did you know the Greeks believed, the Greeks had all kinds of gods. You remember Atlas, the strong Atlas. The Greeks believed that the world was held up by Atlas. That's what they believed. Now, they believed it with all their heart. Then we look and say, that's so silly. The Hindus believed for centuries that the world was held up by a big elephant. You know what the Bible said even before the, the, the Greeks and the Hindus trying to figure out how the world was held up? You know what the Bible says? Job 26, 7 says this, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. You see, the Bible is scientifically correct. Here's one. It, this was accepted science for centuries. 
The, the early astronomers, I mean the early astronomers, they counted the stars. And one astronomer, I can't remember his name, he's very insignificant now because he was wrong. He counted the star, and it became the, it became the belief of the day for centuries that there were, that there were no more than 1,006 stars in the, in the heavens. And that became the, the, no, everybody, there's one, thousand and six stars. Now, a, a, a number of years later, after that became the, the belief, uh, scientific belief about the stars, another astronomer came along and proved him terribly wrong. He said, no, that he's so wrong. Uh, there's not 1,006 stars in the universe. There's 1,007. He straightened him out really good. Now, today, science knows this. But the Bible knew it before they ever started counting. Because Jeremiah 32, 22 says, The stars of the sky cannot be counted. Even scientists who are not believers and don't believe the Word of God will tell you that the number of the stars cannot be counted. You see, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Here's one that's not in your notes. The, bu- the bubonic plague, bubonic plague, was that in, in, in England? I can't even remember. But it was a terrible plague that killed thousands and thousands of people. One in four people died of the bubonic plague. Now, uh, you think, oh my gosh, why did they, uh, what happened? Well, in that day, there was no science that talked about and knew and, and believed and understood that g- about germ transmission. So therefore, when the plague would hit somebody, they had no understanding that you better stay away from this guy because he's contagious. They had no understanding of isolation or, or put people in, what's it, when they, uh, and quarantine people. They had no understanding of that. The science of the day was just, was just blank when it comes to that. But when you read the script, how many of you know the Bible understand, in fact, when, when the law came out in Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 13, talking about leprosy. You know what the law said? You know what the Bible said about people who they thought had leprosy? said, if their skin starts turning this color, you put them outside for seven days. You quarantine them. You get them away. Why? What was he saying? Those guys are contagious. How many of you know that the Bible is scientifically accurate. In fact, I love Proverbs 30, verse 5. It says, every word of God is flawless. Everyone say flawless. Number three, you can trust God's Bible, the Word of God, not only because it is historically and archaeologically accurate and scientifically accurate, but it's prophetically accurate. Now, you understand something about the prophecy, even just the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus. How many of you know there's over 300 prophecies, Messianic Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus? All different, his death, burial, resurrection, how he died, about crucifixion, about all kinds of things that surround uh, uh, the, the, the coming of the Messiah. And the odds of just four or five or six of the 300 coming to pass are astronomical. But when you look at the prophecies concerning Jesus and how they were fulfilled, now understand something, the prophecies concerning the Messiah were, were written thousands of years or hundreds of years and thousands of years before the coming of Messiah. 
Are you with me? Look what Jesus said about the Old Testament. And this certainly rings true. It says, but all this was done. This is what Matthew said concerning what Jesus was saying. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be what? Fulfilled. And so you look at the prophetic, it's just prophetically accurate. Look at your neighbor and tell them this, you can trust the Bible. Tell somebody you can trust the Bible. It's prophetically accurate. Number four, it's thematically unified. Now, this one blows my mind uh, uh, kind of above them all. From Genesis to Revelation, there is one theme, and that theme is redemption. There's one theme throughout the whole Scripture. You say, well, that's no big deal. There's a lot of books with one theme. No, it is a big deal. Okay? It's a very big deal. Uh, and Jesus understood this. Uh, Luke 24, 27, he said, and be, or it says about him, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, speaking of Jesus, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what's he saying? What's Jesus saying there? And what was Jesus doing? He was saying, hey, all the way back to the beginning, it is thematically unified. It's all about me. It's all about redemption. It's all about the coming of Messiah and the death, burial, and the resurrection of, of Messiah and the redemption of lost humanity. It's thematically unified from the beginning to the end. You say, well, what's the big deal? Listen, catch this. It's written over a 1,600-year time period by 40 different authors from a plethora, that means a numerous people of different backgrounds, you know, their kings and their, and, and their shepherds and all kinds of, all different backgrounds, written in three different continents, on three different continents, in three different languages by men who most of them didn't know one another. But yet, though it was written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors from numerous backgrounds, on three different continents and three different languages, yet it is all thematically unified. That's miraculous to me. Think about this. Let me give you this illustration. Let me just say, I took 50. There's probably about 50 of you here today. If I gave each of you a piece of paper and I said to you this, I said, okay, take your piece of paper and tear it into any shape you want. 50 people took 50 pieces of paper and tore them into any shape they want. And then we all got together and set our pieces of paper down and set them all down and it fit a perfect map of the United States of America. How many of you know the odds of that are pretty astronomical? Now we didn't have four, we had 40 people over 1,600 years. on three different continents and three different languages, tore out their piece of paper, if you will. And God took it all and laid it out and put it together. And there was His story with one theme, one thought, one purpose. It's thematically unified. That's miraculous. Are you with me? Say amen. Here's another one. Number five. 
the reason you can trust the Bible, it was confirmed and validated by Jesus. Jesus, when he came to the earth, uh, in fact, uh, I don't know my timetable, but I know from Malachi to, to I think the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, uh, God's word was, I mean, there was 400 like years. I mean, a long time. And here comes Jesus. He, he's raised up and, and, and he's the son of God. He's all man, but he's all God. And he enters into the ministry by baptism. Then he's three years in what we might call full-time ministry. And Jesus began to speak because he, un, he knew the Old Testament. See, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Uh, Jesus spoke about the prophets, about Noah and Adam and Eve and Sodom and Gomorrah and Jonah like they actually existed. You know, hundreds of years before he was born, he he read it, he believed it, and he confirmed it. In fact, it's interesting to me, uh, the things Jesus spoke about, most of them are the most controversial things, uh, stories and disputed stories. Oh, Jonah, there's no way a fish can swallow a human being. Are you with me? Jesus came on the scene, and through his teaching, he validated the Old Testament. If you believe Jesus, you got to believe the Old Testament. You got to believe that the Word of God is real. It was confirmed and validated by Jesus. And number six, this is a pretty cool one, even up to present day. Uh, it has survived all attacks. The best-selling book in the history of all humanity is also the most attacked and maligned book in the history of all humanity. Kind of an interesting little insight. Rick Warren. Uh, uh, wrote the purpose driven life and then the, a purpose driven church is a purpose driven life. And, and it was, it may be the second best selling book in the history of all humanity. I mean, a lot of books. Uh, and, uh, and you know what people started doing with him? They started attacking him too. I'm just go, come on, man. Uh, but the Bible survived all attacks. It's the most debated, derided, disputed, despised, and denied books of all time. But yet today, here we are talking about the Word of God. It stood the test of time. And people from that day until this day have attacked the book, tried to tried to destroy the book and try to eradicate the book and nations have have burned the book and it's against the law even today in North Korea I believe to even own the book but yet the book still lives years ago a brilliant french philosopher by the philosopher by the name of voltaire he said this a hundred years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. That was a lot longer than a hundred years ago. That's, that was his assessment. A little side note about Voltaire. I heard this. I can't tell. I just read it. That on his deathbed, he was an agnostic. He didn't believe in God. On his deathbed, he was crying out to God. That's just what I heard. I read it somewhere. But how many of you know God's got a sense of humor? Everybody's not. He made you. He made me. God's got a sense of humor. Uh, Voltaire, after he died, after, you know, the guy who said a hundred years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. After he died at some point, the, the, I think it was the, uh, the French Bible Society, somehow they got, they got in possession of his house. And for a hundred years, the French Bible Society sold Bibles out of his house. God has a sense of humor. The Bible has survived all attacks. And then finally, number seven, and one you and I can probably attest to. I know I can. It has life-changing power. 
to transform our lives. It's not just a book. It's the Word of God. And the Bible says it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the power to transform our life and complete us and make us whole again. Are you with me? Remember what we talked about the last few weeks uh, when we talked about loose the noose, moving to another level of liberty in Christ. Our keynote verse was John 8, 31 and 32. It has, it has, it has uh, uh, shifted us into this second gear, if you will, about 40 days in the Word. Here's what we talked about. But look at the transforming power, what Jesus says about His Word. If you continue in my Word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. It'll transform your life. You see, through the ages, God's Word has turned cynics into faith-filled men and women. You know, as a young youth pastor, I used to read a lot of uh, uh, this gentleman's name, uh Dawson. What was it? Dawson, Dawson McAllister. And then who was the more evident? Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell wrote a couple of books, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's like a history book of evidence concerning the reality and the validity of the Word of God and Jesus so on and so forth. Back when I was an early youth pastor, I got a lot of Josh McDowell stuff. Josh McDowell was, was an unbeliever and he set out on a journey to, to prove God's Word was not true and the Bible was not God's Word and Jesus wasn't really the Son of God. He went on this long journey and lo and behold, he discovered that what he believed about uh, Jesus and God in the Bible was not true. And he come to realize that this Word of God is true and it transformed his life. And he began to write books and influence young people. And he was kind of one of my heroes of the faith. And then my son, just as a side note, one day was traveling with, uh, oh, what's the big concert ministry? Can't remember it. Uh, choir of the Fire. He was traveling with a Choir of the Fire, and he and his uh, band, or the band he was playing with, uh, had a little segment. And after their segment, or before their segment, uh, the speaker was Josh McDowell. And so my son, who was raised around Josh McDowell, he put two and two together. He said, My daddy told you, told me about you. <laughs> and he had a picture with Josh McDowell. And I thought, eh, He gets all the luck. Uh, <laughs> But the Word changed Josh McDowell's life. Sets people free. How many of you here today can testify that when you gave your life to Christ and began to read His Word, began to change your life? You can trust the Bible. In fact, even if you didn't know any of the other things I told you, you could, you would be able to say today, you know, I don't understand all that scientific stuff and history. I don't understand it, but I do know this. That Jesus transformed my life through the power of His Word. And I'm telling you, there's validity in personal testimony. Did you know people go to prison because of personal testimony? Our society believes in a personal testimony. So your personal testimony about the life-changing power of the Word of God 
ought to validate. And people, hey, people ought to look at your life and say, you know what, I don't understand that Bible and I don't know what I believe, all I believe about that. But what I do know is that guy that I used to know is not the same guy. He's a different person. Because of the power of God's Word. You can trust the Bible to change your life. You can trust the Word of God, listen, to, to take all the pieces of your life and put them back together. There's no need to live a fragmented life and a frustrated life. We can let the Word of God change our life. We don't examine the Scriptures. We let the Scriptures examine us and change us and shine a light on our heart. Lead us in the paths of righteousness. Train us, as it says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, in righteous living. Are you with me? Say amen. Let's stand up together today. Father, today I thank you for the power of your word. I pray today as we begin these 40 days in the word. That your word would come alive in our hearts. If you have your Bible with you, uh, just hold on to it. If somebody has the written word, just grab it with them and share it with them. Just say, grab a hold of this word. Let's, let's make a commitment to the word of God today. Lord, we take a hold of your word. Because we need your word to take a hold of us. To correct us, reprove us to teach us, to train us in the ways of righteousness, that we may be complete and whole and unfragmented and equipped for every good work. We thank You for the Word of God. Help us to love. I want us to pray this, word, this, this prayer together as a church family. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, Help me to learn the Word. Help me to love the Word. And help me to live the Word. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.